The first part of our reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, reading verses 1 to 15. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And and here is my judgment about this, about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Next, reading from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, that their righteousness endures forever. We thank God for his word. Good morning all, it's great to um, be with you this morning. Um, Just to say, uh, last week um, I was preaching on um, uncomfortable relationships and then Neil in the evening was completing the little series in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and talking about how we use our gifts to serve others. Um, in light of that, it, it felt quite timely. I came across an article um, which one pastor had written for the benefit of other pastors 
um, really picking up on the sense of one anothering, the responsibilities we have to love and to serve one another. And I just found it really helpful. It is one pastor written to other pastors, so as long as you appreciate that context, I hope this article could be helpful. Uh, we've made some copies, and um, the welcome team will be handing them out on the door, if that can be a blessing to you. Well, let's pray, because we need God's help to understand uh, this passage and the other that we'll look at together. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would take from our minds all the things that may be distracting us. And for these next few moments, we would be fully present here. That you would speak. That we would listen and that we would be obedient to your call. Amen. Great, well, um, as we look at a picture of a cross on the screen, I want to play a little word association game with you. You're allowed one word. What word do you think when you see the cross? Let's do a bit of audience participation. Just a few people, shout out one word, that's all you're allowed. Sacrifice, salvation. Suffering, Jesus. Just. History. Victory. Cost. Forgiveness, brilliant, loads of words. Here's a word I think we ought to associate with the cross more often, but suspect we don't. Generosity. The cross is all those things that have just been shouted out, and wonderfully so, so many more. But just for this morning, I'd love you to think of the cross, and just think of that word, generosity. Because that is the subject of our talk this morning. The heart of the Christian gospel, the heart of the Christian faith, isn't it, is a generous God. Not a God who says, do this, but a God who gives. The cross is incredibly, infinitely generous. And of course, that's picked up in this very well-known verse that was read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is talking to this church in Corinth, and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, you may become rich. And then as chapter 8 and then into chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians continues, Paul gets overwhelmed and and there's this like conclusion at the end of chapter 9, verse 15. He kind of bursts out in spontaneous song, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God is an incredibly generous God. And the focus of today is to think about how does the cross of Christ, this generosity of God, how does that move our spirits to be generous in our lives? Because it's interesting, not only do we see here in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, a foundation laid for why we're to be generous, because God has been generous to us. But two verses earlier, the Apostle Paul calls us to excel in this grace of giving. Just notice there, he talks about giving being a grace. The ability to give is an incredible gift. Sometimes we think of giving being a burden, it's a gift. Notice too that Paul calls us to excel in the grace of giving. And so we're going to think today about three ways in which we can be generous in response to God's generosity. We thought a bit about uncomfortable growth, the kind of challenges of a growing church. And the danger of kind of personal preference dictating rather than what is best for the glory of God and serving his people. We thought about uncomfortable relationships, this sense of giving to others in love when it's costly. And today we're thinking about this idea of generosity. And I want you to ask yourself this question. 
And we're not just talking about money this morning, though we will in part. I want you to ask this question. Am I uncomfortably generous? And always in the back of your mind, be thinking of the cross, a God who has given. Here are three little areas to consider as you think of that word generosity. First of all, are you someone who is generous in spirit? Someone who's prepared to kind of sacrifice personal preference for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because any church that's going through growth needs to be a church that is generous in spirit. And there's all sorts of different ways that we can be generous in spirit. And I thank God that this room is full of people who are generous in spirit. The challenge is, can we grow in that generosity? It might be for some people who, you come on a Sunday, it's wonderful to have you with us, but you're not yet serving in a team. Could you perhaps serve in a team to serve in this church? Uh, We've begun to talk a little bit as a church family, particularly in our members meeting, about the possibility of starting a new church somewhere else to bless another part of this country, particularly to reach some of the new housing estates, perhaps locally. But the reality is, if you start a church, you're going to lose good members. You're going to lose ministry leaders. You may lose elders. You may lose pastors. We need a generosity of spirit to not be begrudging of those things, but actually to give. It may be the sense of last week, this uncomfortable relationship, a generosity of spirit that desires and deliberately chooses to forgive a brother or sister sitting in this room today when that forgiveness is costly to you. Forgiveness always costs the person who forgives. But a generosity of spirit says, I will deliberately, at coffee after this service, walk towards a person who I perhaps don't want to talk to, but I'll do it because that's how Christ has loved me. Uh, if you're, if you're a, a sort of family, maybe mum, dad, uh, son and daughter, just a little example, could you extend this generosity of spirit in a sense of not just thinking family, mum, dad, son, daughter, but thinking family? Always having a spare seat at your kitchen table and inviting someone who's alone. We talked last week a lot about people who are isolated. Could it be sharing a holiday with someone who would otherwise only go on holiday on on their own? Could there be a way of extending the sort of nuclear family to include others who may be isolated? A generosity of spirit says, it's not my family, it's my family. What a wonderful blessing if we think more intentionally about this. The Apostle Paul could have written, see to it that you excel in showing a generosity of spirit. I thank God there are many people in this church who do that, and you're a wonderful example. The challenge is for us all to do that all the more. So generosity of spirit, are you uncomfortably generous in spirit? Second question, are you uncomfortably generous in your time? Time's incredibly precious, isn't it? None of us feel we've got enough of it. Yet time is a gift that God has given us, and God has given us enough time, probably not to do what we want to do each day, but certainly to do what he wants us to do each day. Will we be a church that continues to be generous in the use of our time? Sacrificing often personal preference to serve another. See, love, love inconveniences, doesn't it? Love inconveniences us all the time. I've been very humbled to hear of some in this church who've deliberately taken lower paid jobs to free up time to bless people. People who haven't chosen to take a promotion to free up time. doesn't mean that not choosing to take a promotion is always wrong or right. It's just that some people have chosen to do that because of this desire to be generous in giving time. 
we talked last week a lot about those who are isolated. To befriend someone who's isolated and to do that regularly takes time. It's a huge cost. Sacrificing personal leisure time, perhaps. But that's what the gospel calls us to. That when the summer comes and, and the weather's nice, it's easy to sort of think, oh, I just, I miss church today. The weather's lovely. I'm just going to have a nice picnic with some of my friends. It's a lovely thing to do. But I'd encourage you, not on a Sunday when you want to be at church. Because your presence here in church is not just about you and how you're built up. It's about everyone else. And your presence here will be a great blessing to others. Now, that's also true for the evening service. Some people are out busy serving in the S Club all morning and don't get the benefit and blessing of this. So actually being here in the evening isn't just for you, but it's to serve those who can't be here. I know that's not possible for everyone, but for some it is. Paul could have said, see to it that you excel in showing a generosity of time. And I thank God that there are, again, many, many people in this room who do that. And it's a wonderful example. And then the third one is a generosity of using our money. And again, I thank God for the generosity of so many in this church. But I wonder if you could turn to our passage in 1 Corinthians, because particularly here I want to look at something of what was read. You don't need to turn to it, but if you went back to Paul's first letter in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, right at the end, Paul talks in verses 1 to 2 about a collection that was to be taken to bless the church in Jerusalem. There was a famine going on in Jerusalem. The Christians were incredibly poor. And so Paul was traveling around the ancient world, gathering money to be given to bless another church. And then you read in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, that Paul planned to travel from Corinth north into Macedonia and then across Turkey, and eventually he'd get to Jerusalem. And so then when he writes his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which we've got before us, it's almost like a reminder. He's reminding the church, and notice... 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Paul says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Isn't that an extraordinary description of the early church? Suffering very severe trial and extreme poverty. And yet in the same sentence we read, overflowing joy and rich generosity. These were people who didn't give out of what they had. They gave out of what they didn't have. Because they looked at the cross of Christ and they go, generous. God has been generous to me. Let me just kind of paint a picture maybe of four impacts that a kind of gospel generosity can have. Of course, this speaks of generosity of spirit and of time and of money. Four little impacts to consider. And we see them in this passage. First of all, notice this impact of being uncomfortably generous. An incredible joy for the giver. Do you see in chapter 8, verse 2? In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And you see this sort of pictured again. Look at verse 10. There's the word desire. And then in verses 11 to 12, twice you'll see the word willing or willingness. There's a real joy in giving. I want to encourage you, if you're a person who doesn't give of spiritual time or money to serve the ministry of this church, you're missing out. Because it's such a joy 
in giving to serve a God who has served us so generously. So there's one impact of generosity, joy. Here's the second one, and Paul talks about this. It's an amazing opportunity to express the love that we have for God. Do you see chapter 8, verse 5? They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. This sense of, I give you my heart, Lord, and that means my bank account and everything else. I give it all to you, because it's all yours anyway. And then if you just jump over a page to chapter 9, just another example of it, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Giving is not just transactional in a sense that it enables stuff to happen, though it does. Giving is an expression of our heart. What a joy to be able to express how much we love God through being generous in spirit, being generous in time, being generous with our bank accounts. But also, generosity also does test the sincerity of our love. If you go back to chapter 8, verse 8, I'm sort of jumping around a bit just to to take us to the key verses. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. In other words, he's saying, don't talk about loving God if we're not prepared to love him with all of our hearts. Don't talk about loving God if you're not prepared to be generous with the money that he has blessed you with. What a joy to be able to experience joy in giving and at the same time express a heartfelt love for a God who is infinitely generous to us. But then it's also something really practical. Look at this impact, the third one. Uncomfortable generosity ensures that others are not in need. Do you see in chapter 8, verses 13 to 15? Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply their needs, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who's gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. See the principle here of equality? I don't think it's a description of the kind of communist thing of pooling everything and everyone divides up so we all have the same in the bank. I think it's more the sense of what you get in the book of Acts in chapters 2 and chapters 4. And that beautiful description you get in Acts chapter 4 verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? And that's the principle you get here in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 15. There shouldn't be in this church any person or any family that has too much. There shouldn't be. Because if you've got too much, give it. And there shouldn't be anybody in this room who has too little. Why? Because you should be receiving from those who have more than they need. In a church family, there should be nobody in need. And what a joy to be someone who can maybe give out of your wealth to bless someone who has less. And if there's nobody in need in this church, there are plenty of people who are in need. What a joy to take what God has given us and enable it to make sure that others are without need. And then fourthly, a slightly different direction. Look at the impact that uncomfortable generosity has as a witness to a watching world. Just come to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 13. Verse 13. 
Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Perhaps the biggest example of a heart and therefore the heart of a church that has been transformed by a generous God is to give lavishly and generously that a watching world might go, there's something different about those people. Wow. They don't live like everybody else around them. They don't need everything that everyone else around them seems to need. They just give. Why? Let me give you a a description of this. This is uh, taking you back to the second century. This is a Greek philosopher called Aristides. He's not a Christian. But he watched the Christians in the early century. And he watched their example. And this is just the most moving description of Christians in the second century. They walk in all humility and kindness and falsehood is not found in them. And they love one another. They do not despise the widow or orphan. He that has distributes liberally to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their brother. And if there's a man among them that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Isn't that extraordinary? Stranger, come into my home, sit on my chair, at my table, eat my food. And if I have to go without, even for three days, have what I've got. And the extraordinary thing is that this was an impact to the watching world. This Aristides, this Greek philosopher, saw the impact the Christians were having and goes, I don't get it, but wow. I don't get why, but wow. But of course, this extraordinary generosity was because their hearts had been moved by an extraordinarily generous God. And that's why I asked the question earlier, am I uncomfortably generous? It's part of the reason that we wrote our booklet, uh, maybe a couple of years ago now, The Joy of Praying, Giving and Serving, just to try and give some of these passages in their context uh, and a chance for us to prayerfully reflect, how am I doing in giving of a generosity of spirit? How am I doing in giving of a generosity of time? How am I doing in a giving of a generosity of money? And as I've said a number of times, I thank God that there are many, many people here who are generous in all those ways. But perhaps a bit of a challenge to some if you recognize that you're not. Well, for our last few moments, I want to cast a bit of a vision to us as a church, and particularly a a vision of how this uncomfortable generosity could really be a blessing in the context of partnership with other gospel work. Because, of course, giving is not just a transactional thing, one bank account to another. It's a deeply relational thing. And you see that in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. They give a gift that is ultimately going to get to Jerusalem. They also give people to take that gift as an expression of love. Well, I give thanks for the rich generosity of so many in this church. We are blessed with this incredible building. And many, many people gave incredibly sacrificial to make this happen. And some of you will still be feeling the effects of that generosity in enabling this wonderful building that facilitates so much ministry. And we thank God for moving your heart in that. 
Do you know this church has an annual income of £285,000? 264,000 of that is through the generosity and giving of the members of the church and others. If you do give, uh, please just give in an identifiable way. It means that giving can be planned and budgeted for. It means that gift aid can be reclaimed. It really helps um, Sarah and the finance team. But God has moved the hearts of many people here to give incredibly generously. £264,000 given to ministry in this church, by this church. It's meant that over this last year, £45,000 has been given away to overseas mission. Part of that is the tithe, the designated proportion of the general fund that is given automatically to support our mission workers. And some of it's designated giving, where individuals in the church give to specific missionary causes. Just over £10,000 in a training fund to pour time and resource into people to train them for ministry. £15,000 set aside for UK mission, not this church, but other UK mission. Out of that, we've been able to support, or just begin to support this church down in Marlow. And we're putting in some money, and the church in Reading is putting in some money. And the network we belong to is putting in some money to help that church to flourish once again. And of course, we've given away pastor time. Neil this morning is preaching up at Buckingham. We've given time to other churches. Um, I give a bit of time to FIEC to help with the revitalization work. Sometimes that is about meeting people. It's about phone calls, a few articles writing. But it's wonderful to be able to give away. And of course, none of these figures I've given even account for the giving of people in this church who give individually to projects like Compassion or Tear Fund or CMS UK or indeed any other thing that you give to. Incredible generosity, which I pray has been moved by a generous God. But the reality is that there are some here who haven't yet engaged in this generosity of spirit and time and money. And if you did, we'd have so much more to be able to give away. Let me just paint a a little picture of gospel need. In this country, estimates reckon that probably less than 2% of the population are evangelical Christians. People who believe the Bible and the gospel held within it. Less than 2% of this country. What a gospel need that there is within our own network of FIEC there are over 600 churches 15% of them have asked for help to be revitalised because they're struggling in different ways struggling perhaps with leadership struggling with finance struggling with vision what an opportunity to reach out and to support them incredible opportunities to be a blessing to our country we look down the road and we see the fact that there are lots and lots of churches in our area but lots of them aren't healthy and they need help and support it's a great blessing to be able to pour our resources into helping these other churches if as a church family we could have this heart this continued heart to be generous in our generosity and giving away to other churches what an impact that it could continue to have I'm not just talking about the churches within our own network. What an opportunity to bless other local churches in this area. And that's part of the reason why we've given away some of our pastor time. Because we want to see other churches flourishing. We want to see people trained for ministry. In the UK, within our own network, there are only 18 churches that are bigger than this church. Just to give a sense of context. As far as I'm aware, there's no other church in the UK in our network that is bigger than us in a rural context. That presents us with a church with a wonderful and very unique both responsibility and opportunity. God has blessed this church and he's blessed us for a reason. 
And I'd love us to partner, not just with the churches in our own network, but increasingly reach out and partner with churches in other networks that we might be a blessing. Now, what could this look like? We've talked a bit about it. It could be giving a bit of time to Marlowe. I reckon it'd be about two hours a week supporting this church in Marlowe and this new pastor to encourage him, to help with some guided reading and some ideas of how to reach out in Marlowe to build that church. We talked about uh, the partnership we have with the revitalization team. Uh, For me, it's about five meetings a year, a few phone calls, a few articles that have been written. But there's room for this role to grow. But of course, it's not possible because can't all do everything. But there is opportunity to really help other churches across the UK to think a little bit and do some of the things like we've done with Buckingham and we're doing with Marlowe and the support we've given to Wheatley. We've talked about starting a new church. What a blessing it could be to start a new church, maybe not just locally, but some other part of the country that we'll never benefit from. We've uh, gathered money recently for the church plant in Swaziland. That was just the generosity of people in the church. And then, of course, training, training up new people for ministry, perhaps training them up within this church. But also, here's an idea. What about funding another church to be able to train up someone in their context? So just as we close, to live life Jesus' way is to live life uncomfortably. Jesus said, come, follow me. Never meant to be comfortable. It's probably not comfortable always sitting where you're sitting and hearing some of these sermons. And I can assure you it's not comfortable preaching them. But this is the life God wants us to live. Not a comfortable life. But a life that responds to an incredible generosity of God. Just take these two scriptures that will be familiar with you to you. Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then we read in Hebrews 13, For here, this earth, we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. And it's scriptures like that that change everything, don't they, if we really allow them to take hold of our heart. And so just to close, I want to tell you one story. I want to cast a vision of this dear lady this is a lady who got uncomfortable generosity while she was younger busy 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 serving in the youth club while her husband was alive opened up a home generous in spirit generous in time generous in money didn't have that many really exotic holidays in their life chose to live simply so that she could give generously and you could look at a dear lady like this and say Her ministry and her legacy was what she did when she served in the equivalent of S Club, when she served in the equivalent of Holiday Club or Lighthouse, when she opened up her home. What a wonderful woman of God. But the most extraordinary thing about this lady was that she continued to give long after she died. Why? Because she recognized that the greatest gift that she could leave wasn't what was behind her, but what was in front of her. And she chose to sell her home just before she died and gave all of that money as a legacy to the church. Because she knew that she had children who had grown up and they were pretty financially secure. And the obvious thing is just to give money to children because that's what we all do. And that might be the right thing and it might be a wise way of stewarding what we have, but it may not be. And for this lady, she didn't need to do that. And so she gave her home, £250,000. And she gave it to a church, to a training fund, and it trained eight people for ministry. 
The reason I'm so moved by this lady is because I was one of the people who was trained by her generosity. Because when I left my former church, they gave me £30,000 and they said, go off to Bible college and focus your time and heart on studying and praying and developing your character and preparing for ministry and we want nothing back from you. And then go. And I came here. And so this lady's generosity has moved my heart. And the reason I'm so passionate about partnership and this kind of story is because I've benefited from this. And I pray that you benefit from it. Do you know the best way to train someone for ministry is not to bring them into a church when they're needed for ministry. But to bring them into a church when they're not needed for ministry so that their training can be the very best thing for them. Most churches, they have one pastor who's working crazy busy. And then when he gets too busy, then they bring in another pastor to work alongside them. But the reality is this pastor then gets crazy busy and there's no real training going on. And then they just get, and, and then, and so it goes on. The best training is when you bring someone in who's not needed so that you pour energy and resource into them to then release them. When I got to my former church, the pastor said to me, for the first two terms, I want you to spend time with people. I said, what? You don't want me to run a youth group or start a men's ministry? He said, no, spend time with people. And for two terms, I just spent time with people, old and young, people in the church, people outside of the church. Spent time with families, met people in their workplace. Just got to understand and know people. And the other thing I did is I read and I read and I read and I reflected and I prayed and I spent time with older, wiser, godly people in the church, reflecting on what I was reading, pouring time into developing an individual that in the years after, they can pour themselves out in developing and blessing others. That's the best way to train. And there are so few churches in this country that have caught that kind of vision. We need to bring in trainees when we don't need them so that their training experience can be the very best to work for them that we can then give them away and say, go. And we're never going to see the fruit of your work, but we thank God that there will be fruit of your work. Could there be... Ten people in this room, perhaps some of you youngsters who could raise £100, maybe if you're doing some car washing or some babysitting or some cleaning this summer, and get £1,000. That would train two people through the ministry training course in Oxford, the sort of beginning levels of training. Um, Alan Esam has benefited from that, Bible handling skills, as has Liz Turton and Simon Howard. What a blessing. Ten people raising £100, £1,000, and you could put some members of this church through the ministry training course in Oxford. Could there be one person who could release £10,000 that's stored up somewhere in an ice oven? If you're honest, you don't need it, and you could just give. And if three people did that, we could fund one of the pastors, like the guy down at Marlow, joint fund the pastor there for a few years and help them to be trained in ministry and set up, set up a new church. Could there be one person who could downsize significantly, release £100,000 of equity in your home? Yeah, be uncomfortable, be different. But you don't need all the rooms. Release that money and give it to training. You could put three people through Bible college. Three people who then come to a church like this and bless the church. Maybe with a 40-year 40, 40 ministry. Could there be one person who sold a second home or left their home as a legacy? Rather like this lady who caught a vision for the next generation. I would love this church every three years to train a pastor in training and give them away 
even more than that, I'd love to train some, I love our church to train a pastor in training in this church and give them away every three years, but also to fund another pastor in training to be trained up in another church to be given away. And we can't do it at the moment with the budget we've got, but we could do it if together we decide we want to be uncomfortably generous. Wouldn't it be wonderful if over the next 20 years in this church we planted another four churches? Maybe not all, maybe just down the road. What about rural Scotland? What about inner city Bradford? What about rural Cornwall? Why not? If God leads us, if his spirit gets behind us, if he moves our hearts, it could be possible. And what an extraordinary legacy it would lead. So friends, I want to ask us, will we be prepared to be uncomfortably generous? Please don't miss here. I'm so grateful to God that many, many people here are. And you're a wonderful example. And by God's grace, we are where we are. But we need to pray that we will continue to grow to be a church that's generous generous in spirits, that we sacrifice our preferences for the kingdom of God. A church that's generous in time, that we sacrifice comfort and freedom to embrace those uncomfortable relationships. And a church that is generous in money, that we might see the gospel spreading in this land and across our nation and across our world to the glory of God. Friends, we have a lavishly generous God. And when he moves our hearts, then we together will be able to excel in this wonderful grace of giving. So should we pray to that end now? In a moment of quiet, why don't we just reflect on something perhaps this morning that has encouraged your heart or challenged your heart? Lord, we sing a song, I surrender all to you. But we're sorry because actually we don't surrender all to you. And so often it's our comfort that's the last thing we surrender to you. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you that the living God is a generous God who has given and only ever given his very, very best. We thank you that you sent your son into this world to die on a cross that we might be forgiven and have new life. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that you pour out upon us to change us, to move us, to shape our hearts. We thank you that the Lord Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we may become rich. And Lord, some of what we've spoken of this morning may seem too ambitious. It may seem too bold. And if it's not where you're leading, then we surrender to that. But Father, if it is where you are leading, please may you together move our hearts to respond to the generosity of our incredible God. Lord, we don't want to play at church. We don't want to just come together and be comfortable every Sunday. We want to see this nation one for Christ. We want to see people in our families turn to the living God. We want to see our neighbors join us here or in another church. We want to see the churches around us flourishing and full. And so, Father, we dare to pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us all. And that you would help us to excel in the grace of giving. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the extraordinary love that you have for each one of us. Please, Lord, move our hearts to give out of all that you have first given to us. And we pray this, Lord, for the name of Jesus to be glorified in our land today, tomorrow, and for the generations to come.
Amen.